A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 148 of Confessions of a Marketer, Retail in the Time of Corona. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Michael Mathias is in to discuss the times we find ourselves in and the world of retail. I hope you're staying well during COVID-19 and I wish you all continued health. I do want to repeat my note from last week. If you are hiring marketers or if you have a compelling story to tell about finding a job in this environment, I'd love to hear from you. Just email me at confessionsof at icloud.com. In the weeks ahead, we have chats planned with Henrik Becker, Xenia Montan, Dave Woodward, Larry Ludwig, and Naira Perez. Lots more in store. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Okay, on to Michael Mathias. In truth, Michael and I spoke at length more than a month ago in the very early days of the COVID crisis. As I listened back to that interview, it was packed with lots of great information, but it really needed a current perspective. So Michael was gracious enough to come back in for another chat. In this discussion, we dig a bit deeper than the headlines and look at the retail landscape, how retailers can market these days, what the world will look like after the crisis ends, and how retailers will retain and gain new customers when the time comes. Let's get to it. Michael, thanks for joining me for this important discussion. Here we are uh, in the middle of this crisis, COVID-19, and uh, there is a lot that you can bring to the table on this. And so so welcome. It's good to have you here. Mark, thanks very much. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to chat. Yeah, and I hope you and your family are all staying healthy. We are, likewise. Thank you. So can you share your background on what Wear Aware is all about? Uh, Wear Aware is a small digital agency located in the general D.C. area. 
uh, national clients, uh, primarily focused on e-commerce space, um, but helping uh, with a complete full solution package to stand up technology, enable data, um, enable decisioning and better analytics, and then actually get in market and help our clients produce an outcome. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into the nitty gritty here. Other than the headlines that we read every day, what is the retail landscape like and what do you think it will look like as we emerge from this COVID-19 crisis? Boy, you know, that's a question. I know. $64,000 question or $64 million question or according to the FDA and their bill, you know, $359 billion question. Everyone is clearly challenged and their their situation, in some cases, uh, quite unique and, and quite daunting. You know, no question, plenty of business are struggling. You know, I tend to be a realist myself and, and you look across the entire portfolio of what's happening and, uh, you know, there will be clear, there will clearly be winners, there will clearly be losers, and then there'll be a, a bunch of people that will, uh, businesses that are actually coming towards a day of reckoning to, to have an inflection point. And that inflection point would be, you know, have we done enough to survive and thrive? And what do we need to change here quickly from a either customer centricity standpoint, technology standpoint, distribution standpoint, business model standpoint, to actually take advantage of the shift? That's, you know, no, no one's completely sure how much of the shift in consumer behavior is going to stick and not. Yeah. So I think it's a it's a very curious way to think about it is is you know think of your own behavior. I try to put these things all in context to my own behavior. The what I'm doing now, curbside pickup, ordering more online, is that going to be something that sticks with us or not? Right. Just like work from home, right? Just like work from home. Yeah. And and what's interesting, I think, over the last month or so that that I've noticed is that you realize how important a brick and mortar store can be to a community because obviously I've, I've done a lot of online ordering, but having that, that presence, the, the ability to do a, a drive-by pickup somewhere is, is really important. It kind of highlights the, the importance of having a actual physical store in a community. Yeah, it does. And it, it's a really curious thing. There was a, a pretty big trend happening for the last, a few years, uh, which was you know, buy online, pick up in store. Yeah. And I, I think that gets to the psyche of the consumer, which is, is just it's a fascinating thing to me. And I think maybe something we could talk about some, which is, you know, everyone's been saying that the you know, brick and mortar is dying. And certainly there are plenty of examples pre-COVID where different brick and mortars were, were in trouble. But you think about what's going to rebound and not rebound. And, and I fundamentally believe that the retail experience is social. Yeah. And that the pent up demand for the social interaction is going to see, uh, it's going to move something in some dramatic way when this all sort of settles back down. I saw a, a note somewhere that someone had sent that it was, I think it's been maybe around on some of the, the meme sites out there that. It used to be like going to the, the, the market was just, you know, a chore. You know, now it's like Little House of the Prairie when they all pack up the wagon, they go to town to get supplies. Yeah. It's sort of this different, this different psyche of what that means. And I actually see the retail side. There's so many different perspectives of it, but, but I look at my own behavior 
And I do two things right now, right? I either do these very, very quick in and out trips that I'm just there to get something because I have to do it, or I'm going to stock up for some larger period of time. Right. And the stuff in the middle seems to just kind of the, the recreation part, the social part has all fallen off. And I just as a, as a student of consumer behavior, I don't think that can stay suppressed very long, Yeah, especially in the look at me now culture and social, all the different social networks. They, they certainly have take up a lot of slack and the usage of that you know, clearly continues to, to go up, but it's, it doesn't, it can't fully replace it. Right. So I just don't believe that. Yeah. The, and that, that kind of hits on the point that you made earlier, the, it's an experience, right? It's an experience to go to a really good retailer, whether it's, you know, a grocery store or a clothing retailer, whatever it is, and experience that walking into the store and the wonder of it. And, you know, I want to go and buy some cold cuts and, you know, and I want to walk through the produce area and all that. That experience is now transformed because either you don't go in the store, you pick up at curbside, or you go in and you know exactly what you want to get and you get the hell out of there. Right. Right. And there'll be a pent up demand for the kind of community slash experience that you, you feel when you go shopping. I believe that. I also believe to put a finer point on that, the experience side of this, you could define it into a number of different profiles. So let's just take three simple ones. There's a, you have a, a, pro, a retail profile of necessity. Yeah. I think there's a retail profile for being social. And there might be a retail profile for escapism, yeah. you know, for whether you can characterize that in luxury, which is always in the eye of the beholder, whatever that luxury is. But if you start to think about the retail experience, I could easily see those profiles becoming much more extreme and that the, the necessity players, which right now are having their day um, and well, there's always going to have their day, which is, you know, to, to deliver the best quality product, the lowest, cheapest, easiest price. That doesn't necessarily, isn't that a fulfilling experience? So then you can see on the other end of the spectrum, something that's more escapist. Mm. And, and you really want that white glove treatment. You want that experience that it's, it's very unique. And where retail was struggling in the past, in my opinion, was in some cases different. The, the same brand was trying to do the same, both of those things at once. Right. And, you know, with mixed results. And I could point to some things where I think that that didn't go as well, with especially luxury retailers trying to go down market and make things that are more commodity based and things like that. I believe that coming out of this, there's going to be even a, a higher differentiation and you just can't be everything to everybody. Yeah. And that's good for the consumer, isn't it? If, <laughs> well, does the consumer know what's good for them? But I'm I'm just saying I'm just saying so so if you define exactly who you are, and exactly what it is that you do for a consumer, the consumer can choose far more easily than than a, a retailer that tries to be all things to all people. I guess that's my point. I would generally agree with that. Now that is assuming that you have done your work as a retailer to provide the proper information, education, the right incentives, the right seduction to come and transact business in your environment, whether it's digital or other, you know, brick or mortar or otherwise. So I guess it sort of goes back to where you fundamentally start 
with the consumer psyche and is that you know is uh are consumers how educated are they and how specific are they do they know what they need or not you know versus the, the need versus want i guess to boil that all down right and i just believe that from the the retailer side you don't get to have your don't get to have it both ways you, mm. you do have to choose and you have to sort of have faith that the consumer is going to figure out not overtly necessarily but of what experience they're looking to have like i don't necessarily want to have a other than a transactional experience with my dry cleaner right but you start to go up the different types of things that you could be you know transacting do i want to have an experience with my you know the the, the butcher at my local market well Maybe I do because that is something that's more escapist from is I do like to cook and I do like to enjoy those things where others might not, which I think if you'll indulge me for a second is, is another thing that's going to happen with the state of retail when this comes out. I believe that there will be more and more hybrid businesses out there that are looking for multiple ways to get their product to market. So a great example is grocery store and you know, grocery store traditionally, you've seen it evolve for the last decade plus. But a grocery store has been the place you go buy your supplies and take home. Um, then they start to have pop-up stores, with it, whether there's Starbucks inside there or uh, prepared food or deli counters. Now you've got curbside pickup. Then you have delivery. You know, now there might be, you go to Whole Foods, you can get your prepared food and you can eat at Whole Foods. I wouldn't say it's really super like a rest friendly restaurant. Right. But not hard to start to see the extension of, how many different places that chicken breast could show up. Yeah. And a lot of retailers, you know, uh, food retailers do the prepared food. So the natural extension is to put a few chairs and tables out and let you just stay there and eat. I, I don't, I can't put my finger on exactly what the other models will be, but I certainly see a need to expand the distribution of whatever your core product is dramatically and find other uses for it and, and other environments to engage with it. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of messages since the crisis started from different restaurants, retailers and so forth, expressing concern and saying, you know, we're, we're on top of it. We understand what's going on and we care about you, our customers and our employees and all that. And that's one level of marketing, just saying you're generally aware of what's going on. But how can retailers market during these times or should they, you know, should they be marketing to customers? I get stuff from L.L. Bean. They seem kind of a little bit separate. You know, they're a primarily online business for me. There are stores, but I interact with them, you know, online. How can a retailer with a storefront market during these times if they're open, you know, a limited number of hours, if maybe they do um, curbside pickup, you know, whatever it is, what are the what are the rules that you would think that they should follow? I think there are a couple real serious rules to pay attention to. The first and foremost is come from the heart, come from a place of care. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> If you can't stand up and, and read this to your your mother, or your grandmother, or you know <laughs> someone like that, uh, whatever. When I say read this, your your advertisement, your marketing, your email, whatever that is, and would they look at you and say, "Come on," or would they say, "Yeah, that's really that's that's a nice message." Yeah. And I think more than ever, man, you know, at least in my recent experience, 
that coming from the heart and being part of the community and trying to make a human connection is is really important. Yeah. So I would say be human and come from the heart first. I don't know. Um, I live in a semi-rural part of the, the outer outskirts of D.C. area. And you know we, we spend more time out walking now because gyms are closed and our normal right. routines are closed. And, you know, I've met more neighbors and been, you know, waved to more people than I have in the last three weeks than I have in three years. Yeah. And everyone has been very friendly back. I think that that need for connection is so important. And I see that as a critical pillar, especially for the smaller stores and the community-based stores. It's that, that human piece. And again, yeah, people need to go to the big box stores to get some things that are efficient and you know, they're commodities and they are what they are and there's no other way to get them right now but for the smaller brick and mortars to survive or even the mid-size it's got to be based upon that trust that i'm going to be here for you and that probably goes to the second piece of advice or perspective that i would give which is you know around reliability right and the the fact that i know that my local tavern here which i used to love to go sit at the end of the bar and have a soda pop or adult equivalent you know, I know that they can't do that right now, but I know that they're there and they're part of the community and they've been very reliable on saying exactly what they can and can't do. And they've yeah. been very forthcoming with information about when they're open and what they can serve and how you do a curbside pickup and what they can do for your family. And so just that clear knowledge and understanding of what's going on, it's very easy to overlook. And it's very easy to just think, oh, everyone knows, but to be just just painfully clear. And then, you know, I used the word community before. I think that that third thing for me for is to, to align with the community. And um, I saw some really interesting, even at the big box level, there was some stories of Al Albertsons. Uh, it's a grocery chain on the, on the, I guess, mostly West Coast, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, Hy-Vee, Publix. They have been working with some of the local restaurants and local bars to where people are laid off or furloughed. You know, they're trying to have a direct recruiting line with them, being part of the community and keeping people who have some experience and are in the neighborhood employed, whether it's temporarily or not, but to really embed themselves in the community. And of course, they've got a bigger footprint and they can do those things. But, you know, for them doing that, that's for me, that says something. And do you think about the, the loyalty they're going to get from employees that they were able to get jobs where they otherwise couldn't? And then how that trickles out through, uh, you know, whether it's downtown Manhattan or, you know, rural Maryland, that's impactful. Yeah. You really see what companies and people are made of at times like these, don't you? You do. It certainly helps to have deep pockets. <laughs> so <laughs> You're not... made of money. You're, yeah. <laughs> I'm not dismissing that at all um, because some of these things all sound beautiful, but then, you know, reality sets in and let, let's hope that some of the government assistance programs land properly and are able to aid people that most need it and, and keep these things going. And, you know, I guess we'll see, but it certainly helps. Yeah. So I want to paint a picture of life on the other side of this crisis whether it's three months from now, 18 months from now, what, whatever the length of time is that this crisis takes to abate, how can retailers retain and gain new customers? Maybe you start now, though. Maybe it's not something that happens on the other side. I leave that to you. It's tricky. 
it's tricky as far as starting right now. You certainly do not want to be tone deaf to the the tragedy that's going on out there and the individual suffering that different families and communities are are feeling. Yeah, there was a a beer company which I'll remain nameless. I'm sure it's not wouldn't be hard to find, but you know they they when first started they started to run an ad which then quickly got pulled which was you know we're the official work from home beer yeah right. and and while you know part of me my sarcastic and cynical self and you know i i get that and you know that does strike one chord with me but it strikes so many other chords that are just insensitive and wrong message wrong time you know there might be the right target there somewhere but it, you know, i would say is that really the target that they would want long term anyway so you know, everything starts with data for me. I and it all starts with fundamentals, and it has to be then put in context with the social situation at play. So I do think that the basics of understanding who your best customers are, yeah. and being able to have a, an agree on that, which is a very tricky thing to agree on too. You know, if you think about the example I use all the time, if you want a, you know a customer that spends. I'll use a, a smaller example than I usually do. A customer that spends you know ten dollars a month every month, or you want a customer that spends one hundred twenty dollars once a year. Yeah. And either answer could be totally appropriate and right for your business, but the real trick is, does your business overall actually agree on that? So you know, there's a fundamental step back to say, no better time than now, who really is our best customer? And then how do we put ourselves in the best light to make sure that they know that we're here for them? So I think that the data and the, the analysis and the understanding of all things around targeting and all things around, you know, really what a lifetime value could be for a client, those things, those things haven't changed. The messaging and the context and the frequency, you know, those things are going to be very, very situational and um, it's very easy to make a misstep and be perceived to be toned out. Um, you know, I, I just, again, look at my own experience. And like you said, you know, getting dozens of messages from different companies that are releasing a statement on COVID. And, you know, we're aware we've done our own. And, you know, as you expect us to, to we've done um, webinars, we've done you know, some different things, how to keep marketing during these times. You know, so so we're, we're trying to be very active. You know, some of the ones that I get, it feels like it's a, they're checking a box and, you know, that they, they needed to do it. Um, the competition did it. They feel like they should do something. And I'm not saying it's not true, but what I am saying is that doesn't necessarily resonate. It doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't make a connection. And it's a very difficult thing to do. And then some of them for me make a great connection. And as I am taking the time to read them all, because I'm curious if I'm in the industry. Yeah, And some of them, I think, are extremely thoughtful and really are going out of their way to to put themselves at my disposal to see what they can do for me. And you know what? Short term, it might be expensive, but long term, there are definitely brands that I see that I work with um, and that I you know, am a consumer of that I will become more loyal to. No question. Yeah. But some of them do feel like compliance emails. You know, the, the perfunctory. And I, I guess, you know, you, you, you can't fault someone for trying to do something right. Maybe they just don't set the right tone. No, it, it's, I really, I'm even hesitant to say that because it, it's, it, it's very difficult. And the tone, and yeah. very, it is very difficult. Yeah. Well, it's a complex world. And I, I really appreciate you joining me to 
put things in perspective and I really appreciate your insight. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Mike. All right. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Stay healthy and see you next time.